0: Says,
1: get that India, big boy. Call an ambulance. what a shot!
2: What a shot! killer! Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host John, also known as 4020. Things got a little bit out of order this week. We had our uh, reaction of Bernie to the grand final losses in the NRL and NRLW before the news podcast, but we're going to switch up with news podcast on Friday, so let's get the boys in here now.
0: News team, assemble!
2: And first man into the fray is my good mate Sixties, how you doing on another dreary but not so rainy day, mate?
0: Yeah, mate, I'm doing really, really well and I'm trying to catch up with Spiro. He's had what I would suspect is a really big week because not only <laughs> did he have the NRL grand final, he then had the 2GB Mad Monday, followed that into the Ken Thornett medal on Tuesday night. Some overnight stints in his media work since then. So I'm really pleased that we're able to welcome him back this Friday.
2: And of course, you've already introduced him, so let's get him on, Spiro. How are you holding up after those monstrous two weeks, mate?
1: Uh, It was hectic, guys. Great to chat with you again. Very, very busy, but all worth it. What an experience to be part of a grand final week. And as disappointing as it was on Sunday night, I think all Eels fans can hold their heads high and be appreciative of the fact that we've experienced a grand final week, we've experienced the build-up and the hype, and it was such an unforgettable experience, but it's been... a yeah, hectic week and glad to have a bit of downtime now. Now, I'm going
0: to ask you the age-old question, right? Because you were part of the 2GB Mad Monday, I believe. So Correct. I, I I would imagine that what goes on on
1: Mad Monday stays on Mad Monday. I guess you, you're you right about that, 60s. It was a an eventful day, and I can reveal, and this has been put into the media, not by any of us, but by members of the public, that Paul Gallen can get very, very loose when he's on the Jungle Juice. Um, he is a, an absolute entertainer, harmless, a lot of fun to be around. But when he's on, he is on. What's his singing like, mate? You know what? He's actually not too bad. I think Pete, Mark Piggy Riddell, probably the best singer of the lot. Um, Darryl Broman, the big man, was also quite good. But, yeah, don't don't underestimate Gallen. He's pretty good. Uh, Country Road, or Take Me Home, sorry, um, John Denver, he, he belted that one out up up Cronulla. And uh, it was a, a really fun day out on the town, enjoyed it. Great way to finish the year, you know. It was really, really fitting after a you know a grand final loss, you know, to drown the sorrows a little bit. Um, headed out there on Monday with, with the crew and, and enjoyed each other's company. And nice way to just wind down for the year and sort of farewell everyone before we catch up again in uh in march first season 2023
2: and now 60s and myself have uh broken down the two grand final losses to the knights and the panthers in great detail across a couple of podcasts now first our instant reaction and then sitting down with bernie ger to go more extensively into where the eels lost the game or perhaps where the knights and panthers won the game might be a better way of putting it we're keen to hear your thoughts on what played out last sunday mate
1: Two really strong opponents we came up against in both the the women's and the men's fixtures, to be perfectly honest with you. The favourites in both those matches won, and I'm not surprised because they're both quality outfits, and they've proven that throughout their respective seasons. And, you know, Parramatta, we love the underdog title, and I think in both those games you can't fault the effort or you can't fault the team for not rocking up because they both dug deep. Maybe the score lines don't reflect how close it was, especially in the women's game, when at one point there was only six points in it. Um, so, you know, credit to the girls. I really enjoyed getting out there early and, and watching their game. And they're a great team. I, I don't know that we'll be able to hold on to all of them for next year because you got four new NRLW clubs coming into the competition. But special group, special side. Uh, credit to Samai Matau for our captain, also the NRLW um, Women's Player of the Year. Her speech post-game was absolute class and something that everyone should be proud of and in terms of the men's i think everyone probably agrees with the fact that we were just outclassed and outplayed by a team that has really dominated the competition over the last three seasons now and just right across the park you know they got they got um x factor and i know that you know your nathan cleary's and your dylan edwards they all cop the big raps your isaiah yo's but you know, two particular players that I thought were, were super dangerous for Penrith and put the nail in the coffin for Parramatta were Leah Martin down that right-hand side of the field in that first half and uh, Moses Leota leading the way in the front. And we have an almighty forward pack, front row, you know, two huge front rowers, big parts of our team, Junior Paolo and Regan Campbell-Gillard. But boy, Moses Leota, he has an absolute engine and is a weapon, and I think he's a bit... Him and Liam Martin are probably the unsung heroes of that team, and they they just tipped it over the edge. Stephen Crichton played exceptionally well too and just broke broke us really well and, and, and really easily. But credit to Parramatta, you know, they kept fighting, and you could see that they were trying to create opportunities, but Penrith just would not let us get through. Their, their wall of defence was as strong as I think I've seen a team uh, put up in a grand final. And Nathan Cleary said at post-match that the way they played in that first half was the best that this team has, has ever played. So credit to them, you know, they deserve it. Um, we'll get on to the way that they've carried on and the behaviour of the fans post-match. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, you can't take anything away from the skill of this playing group. And I guess Parramatta, as a side, can only envy being, um, you know, powerhouses like Penrith in the years to come. Now,
0: Spiro, are you
1: hearing anything
0: around Moses Leota and the Panthers' salary cap issues in, in being
1: able to retain him? Look, I think it's clear, gentlemen, that Penrith won't be able to hold on to everyone. There was talk that maybe Liam Martin would come to Parramatta and that um, he would join the blue and gold, but now there, there's talk that Penrith have a deal that they're ready to to put forward to him. Um, but I, I think that they're going to have to let go of a few more. I know that uh, Vili, we all know that Viliami Kikau... Abu Koras both departing the club. Uh, Spencer laney has been one much. that's been
2: talked about as being cut as well—not cut, but surplus to their cap requirements.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think Leota is going to be one that'll have to go next. So, someone that yeah, you know, it'd be great if Parramatta could pick him up. We do have, as I mentioned, two great front rowers, but I just feel like Leota is a, an absolute star of a player. He hasn't got enough at the attention he probably deserves the last few years. He's a bit of a quiet achiever, and I guess. You know, at times he probably gets lost in it all with huge personalities and, and you know, um, uh, Chief Energy Officer Jerome Luai and, you know, uh, uh, Brian To'o, Bizar, who, who joins him there. So, yeah, he gets lost in it all, but what a player he is and, and he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant on Sunday night.
0: I think uh, Forty knows uh, what I think of Leota as a player, but I, I can see a club like the West Tigers absolutely going nuts if he was on the open market. Like you can just imagine them weighing in with a massive offer. Uh, You would hope, I'm going to say hope, that a club like the Bulldogs wouldn't have the capacity to weigh in there because surely the money that they've been spending in their recruitment wouldn't permit them to be able to uh, launch the sort of offer to uh, Leota that uh, would, you know, Go past any other clubs likely offer, but uh, I see the 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 big club or well, the big offer probably coming from another Western Sydney club in the Tigers. Should he be uh, released,
1: he would be a huge signing. You know, Abby Corrissau and him uh, making up that front row. You got Isaiah Papali'i as well. Like it could be quite lethal. Um, so yeah, it's a it's someone that they want to target because we've seen with Parramatta what difference bringing someone like Junior Bowler back to the club did for us and our, our game. And I think the Tigers can can do the same with Leota, and, and he can change things and help turn things around. Maybe someone like Coruscant would be less likely to blow a raspberry about his,
0: the likelihood of his success there next year. <laughs> uh, yes, yes.
2: Speaking of, boys, the the Penrith Panthers, they've shrouded the line between cocksure arrogance that comes with being one of, if not the best team in the tournament, in the competition, and also being arguably really poor winners. Let's talk about that, because the post-Grand the post, the post grand Final celebrations, we had Coruscant uh, blowing a, a derisive raspberry, I suppose is the nicest way of putting it, at the uh, prospects of him getting back here as a Tiger, back here being a Premiership, obviously, um, having a big laugh about it. And then we had James Fisher-Harris sort of endorsing the We Hate Parachance and trying to bizarrely, I suppose, assert dominance over <laughs> over the Eels. Uh, what do we make of it all? Because I don't mind being able to celebrate, you know, and, and have a good time and, you know, have characters in the game. But at the same time, there are lines you can cross. Did the Panthers go too far or was this all uh, on the level for you boys?
1: I think Appy Coruscant is probably the main culprit and someone that, you know, everyone agrees was out of line with his comments and I understand that, he would have been on the drink for a number of hours before that and comments that are made when you're under the influence, you can't always control them and, and they're not always the right things that should be said. So Appy, you know, he deserves a slap on the wrist. I can understand why Tigers fans would be disappointed with his comment and, and the way that he handled that. So Appy's out of line. Disappointing to see Fisher Harris, you know. Or not, look, I mean, at the end of the day, right, um, I like a bit of healthy... Competition and healthy banter. And I, I, I think by, you know, um, Fisher Harris saying uh, para are our sons, it's a bit of a joke. You know, I don't think he intended any malice. And you need that. I think you need a bit of that in the game. But the, the fans chanting, you know, we hate para, you know, para suck. I mean, that's, that's sort of overstepping the mark. You know, Jamin Salmon, a former eel who, you know, has been on the receiving end of a lot of abuse he was the one that actually instigated that chant. And, you know, I I thought that was quite disappointing given what Parramatta did for him and the opportunities that they gave him and how that team welcomed him.
2: Maybe Ricky was onto something.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, the the, the funny thing is, guys, that, you know, the playing group really did love Jamin Salmon. They allowed him to implement the chant Paras on Fire, which is still sung to this day. And there seems to be a mutual respect between our playing group and him. And and the fact that he wants to instigate a chant, we hate Para. You know, it's disappointing and it's a low act, especially for someone that's been on the receiving end and made such a big deal of you know comments made about him. So I, I'm not really fussed about Fisher Harris, to be honest, guys. I I know that it's disrespectful and it hurts, but at the end of the day, it's a bit a bit of banter, and that's what fuels the fire. And the, um,
2: what what you know, what does it, crack me up though is that there was absolute you know. Uh, what's crickets out of Penrith a couple of years ago when they were also rands, but uh, now they're on top of the world, they're very quick to run their mouth so it would be interesting to see if they can maintain the rage when they eventually slow down
0: Yeah, one of the things that I wanted to talk about with that is well also you've got the uh, the inappropriate racial comment that was made by uh, Jerome Luai which I believe was uh, had to be taken down off his social media and that's probably another example of them getting carried away in the winner's circle. Uh, look, I don't have a problem with teams enjoying a win. It's it's what... I, I just wonder what's in their head because I can guarantee you one thing. If, if we won a title this year... The last thing that would have been on my mind would have been chanting anything about the Panthers. I would have just been too excited about Parramatta winning than to worry about the opposition that we just beat it. And and that's even when it was the Panthers and and what we have to go through as supporters up at Penrith Park. Look, probably the thing that I'm disappointed in the most as well is that it's encouraging some of the fan behaviour that is really, really negative and makes it, quite an unpleasant trip out to Penrith Park. I've written about it, I've spoken about it non-stop in terms of what the fan experience is like there in terms of the abuse that you cop as an eels supporter up at Penrith Park. And it is and, and it's not a good-natured matter in in any way shape or form. We're, you know when you get objects thrown at you, when you get f and c bombs thrown at you and and just relentless Targeting of um, of you as a supporter just for showing your colours. No one wants to go to the football like that. And I think those sorts of comments or the chant, it's it's not so much that it's directed at the players, it it starts to become more directed at the fans with the We Hate Para. And it encourages that negative behavior towards the fans. I think probably the stuff that you know there might be the odd stuff that Penrith's own sponsors wouldn't particularly like with uh, some of the behaviour, like, and I'll come back to uh, Luai with his comment, but um, look, it's it's strange that they want to go down this path because they did the same thing last year with Souse, taunting Souse after the loss. I wonder whether they're pitching themselves as like the WWE heels in... Um, you know, in laughing all the way to the bank with people hating on them for their behaviour. I I don't know. I mean, if I guess if you get talked about, if you're in the media and talked about that, you know, you might consider any publicity good publicity and, um, you know, market yourself that way. I I don't know. I I didn't particularly like it. I couldn't care less too much about, uh, as Spiro said, the para-RL uh, our, yeah, it, the, our the, the,
2: they're our children, sort of thing. That that's actually funny banter. Like that, yeah, it, that was it, never an issue.
0: It's. It, the, it, well, and I'll tell you what's funny is the irony of it all because the behaviour is like children, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're saying that they're, they're the they're the uh they're the adults they're the grown ups in the uh, equation yet they're the ones behaving like children it's quite it's quite amusing in that regard so yeah I don't take umbridge at, uh, at James Fisher Harris but I do take umbridge at the encouragement of the uh we hate para chant because as I said, I think it leads to um encouraging an extremely negative fan well, behavior that's already you get bad hammered
2: with the uh, report antisocial behavior at the you know main venues like alleons and Accor and whatnot and then you've got this stuff happening on the flip side which is literally promoting that sort of behavior isn't it
0: yeah yeah and when you when you're there in the crowd like that sort of chanting as I said the players would would care less about that but it's more that the uh when you're near that sort of chant when it's going on you really do feel as if it's targeted towards you as supporters, and it's generally backed up with the direct insults and the um, and, and the derogatory comments that you cop uh, at, a, at any sort of Penrith game. So anyway, that's probably all we need to say on yeah. that because the bottom line is the Panthers are a damn fine once-in-a-generation team. Yeah. They deserve to win the competition. They deserve to be back-to-back premiers, and it'll take a mighty, enormous effort from anyone to stop them going for a three-peat next year.
2: So,
1: speak just quickly before we move on, guys. Sorry to jump in, That's no, okay. to be like, just to provide a bit of perspective, right? And in no way, I'm not defending the Panther fans. I mean, I hate them, um, but just you know, to get, paint the picture a bit, I was in Parramatta before the game, and coming through the street, uh, there was a chant that started. And excuse the language, language warning here, but people were cheering. Cleary's a wanker, you know what it, I mean? So, yeah. it, on the flip side, to be fair. Our fans, some of our fans can be just as bad as well. We know some of our fans, what they've, how they've treated Jacob Arthur and how they've handled things as well. So looking at it in perspective, to be fair and neutrally, right, our fans come up with some stuff as well. But with Penrith, it seems like there's a repeated behavioural issue there. So I think that's all we, we need to say on it. But I just wanted to add that in there just for a bit of perspective.
0: Yeah, and and, and to that end, that's something that we did call out through the year in terms of uh, Parramatta supporters' negative behaviour, especially towards our own. And, uh, yeah, by no means... I mean, I I, I saw that vision that uh, was posted of the march through Parramatta and I just thought, you know what, that it, it didn't add colour. It, it, it probably wasn't needed at all, that chant. I, I, I felt uncomfortable by it myself. And I think uh, there's also Penrith supporters who are uncomfortable about the hate chants that go on as well because we had a number of Penrith supporters around us that didn't join in and looked uncomfortable when that started. So, um yeah, yeah. Let's uh, – as, as you said, let's move on.
2: Exactly. So, as we close the books on Parramatta's season in 2022, that means there's a couple of events that had to follow, starting with the Monday after the grand final losses, boys. It was a big fan day organised out of Combank Stadium. I couldn't get out there – uh, on account of I had some uh, dental issues coupled with some other prior commitments in terms of sport. Uh, but you were out there, 60s. Were you out there too, Spiro?
1: I couldn't make it, unfortunately, guys, as well. So yes, 60s yes.
2: was out there, and you've got some good uh, stuff to recap us with because you had some pretty cool stories that happened, especially on the NRLW side, mate.
0: Look, the, look it, was a, it was a great day out there. Uh, there was probably somewhere in that vicinity of three and a half to 4,000 people, that uh, got into Combank Stadium to give thanks to the players, both the NRLW and the NRL for the season that they produced. Uh, Some brief speeches, introduction of the players up on the stage, but then the majority of the time was spent by the players uh, moving around, uh, signing autographs, having photos taken. I will say as well that uh, the the women backed up uh, Samima Taufa's speech on grand final day with more fine speeches up on the stage against Samima Taufa featuring on, on that uh, on that team day but um, yeah the the players stayed out there for well basically until the stadium was uh was trying to close the security guards were trying to meet, move <laughs> the uh, supporters out there just after midday and there was uh, there were still some players and even Brad Arthur going around the stadium signing autographs and, and having those photos. A couple of the ladies that were last off the field uh, near us was uh, was Gail Broughton and uh, Kennedy Cherrington. Uh, and Kennedy got the news just as she was near us. She got the, the phone call letting her know that she was in the Australian team and just to see the emotion on her face. And she was... She was actually crying tears of joy, like the emotion uh, on her face was something else. So um, yeah, and, and both her and Gail are incredibly popular with the supporters, and they made sure that they got around the entire perimeter of the stadium. So players basically went um, in two different directions from the middle of, from the halfway line. Some went north, some went south. Uh, so so that everyone in the stadium would get some photos and some signatures because it just wasn't going to be possible for everyone to go around the perimeter. But uh, Gail and Kennedy decided they would prove that it would be possible for them to go around. And, um, yeah, look, full marks to those ladies. And I know I'm just using a cliche and saying full marks to them, but they are just – there is no – there is no cliches about them, if that makes sense. Like there is nothing everything that's said by them is spontaneous. It's from the heart. Um Gail was just kicking back, uh, talking to us, and there was a there was a, a group of supporters eagerly waiting for her to move on. And when I saw the security guards coming down to to start moving people out, I, I said to her, oh, Look, I better let you go because you've got plenty of people waiting and they're trying to get everyone out and um, she's just so chilled and laid back. It's it's unbelievable. Um, and she did reaffirm to me that New Zealand selection for her was something that she felt she she really had to earn and she didn't feel she'd been playing long enough in rugby league to, um, to put her name forward for the World Cup for the uh, New Zealand team. And... Um, Look, I'd just say more power to her that she's someone that stands by her principles with that. And um, she will be back next season. So that's good news for Eels fans, Very as, good. as will Kennedy. Um, and um, it's it's good to see that we've got um, the nucleus of um, the team sticking around. But as you say before, to be able to keep everyone is going to be a monumental challenge to even maybe to even keep the majority of players, might turn out to be yeah, a massive four, challenge for
2: expansion teams. It's going to be an absolute wild west in the scramble for players and coaches and staff as the NRLW rapidly expands. But fortunately for Parramatta, they've got a core of players that are coming back, they've got a strong Tasha Gale team to lean into, so they are set up for success long term. And with Dean Witters obviously helming a pretty strong team as a coach, it's uh, looking good.
1: In terms of the way that both our men and women's team handled grand final losses, they deserve a lot of credit, you know, because it's not easy in the morning after a, a grand final loss to front up in front of your fans and spend the time that those players did signing autographs, you know. And I think as an Eels supporter, you need to sit back and, and applaud the effort, the way they handled the week. They weren't cocky. They weren't arrogant. They handled the, the build-up well. They put up such a good fight in the game and I would have liked to speak more about that at the, at the beginning of the podcast, but we've got so much to get through. But both teams put up such a fight and played so well and the way that they handled from start to finish, they deserve a lot of credit. So, well done to all of them um, and very proud of both our teams and Kennedy and Gale, great personalities and we'll speak more about our interaction with them at the Kent Thornet Medal later on in the podcast.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I just want to add in, I think the Eels were classy in the way that they uh, handled themselves during grand final week. They were classy in the way that they um, gave all the accolades to the the Penrith team, the way they conducted themselves um, post-match, the fact that that Monday team appearance was on their Mad Monday. So that was Parramatta's Mad Monday was spent with um, probably about three hours of that time being given to the supporters out at uh, Combank Stadium. So uh, big tick for them there.
2: So if Monday morning was for the fans, boys, Tuesday evening was for the players, the Ken Fournette medal. Uh, was it hosted
0: at uh, Oatlands 60s? Where was it this year? No, no, it was at um, Rose Hill Gardens. Rose Hill
2: Gardens, there you go. So the latest Ken Fournette medal we've had in a long, long time as the club choose, uh, understandably chose to hold it off until the season finished. Uh, so we went through to past grand final week to get there. A whole stack of award winners, plenty of deserving ones. Both you and Spiro are out there, 60s, and had a very good night. I uh, unfortunately had, had that dental issue still going, so I couldn't make it. Uh, but we get to the award winners, and we'll run from uh, sort of block by block. But uh, was it a good night to start off with?
0: Well, I think I'll leave that to Spiro to com- comment on first, because this was Spiro's first Ken Thornet medal evening, so I'm very keen to hear his takes.
1: It was brilliant, and my thanks to you, 60s, for thinking of me. When uh, when John had that dental issue and, and couldn't come, you called upon me and gave me the opportunity last minute to attend, and I, I'm not going to lie, I've dreamed of going to a Kenthornet medal since I was a kid. I remember looking at buying tickets maybe uh, when I was a kid at school and and always wanted to attend one, so to be there was a real pinch-yourself pinch moment. And it was awesome. It was a great setup and it was, you know, quite an intimate setting as well, engaging with players and, and we'll speak about that. But it was what a wonderful night. I enjoyed meeting um, obviously Jeff and, and, and chatting to Rob as well and, and Yoko was there too as well as as well as well Craig. Um, and it was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. We mingled with a few me- – I mingled with a few members of the media that were there uh, a few of the staff members at the, the Eels Club, who I've got to know well this year, and players both NRL and NRLW. So it was a, an ultimate highlight. It was a lovely, lovely evening. Wonderful food. I know that Sixties uh, enjoyed his uh, ravioli, pumpkin ravioli as the entree. Yes, and uh, uh, it was delightful. It was such a nice night and and a not, great way.
0: I like, Spiro, to, yeah. I, I'm 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 glad that you are not repeating the actual words said by yoko when i was off mingling and she told you what i was uh, similar to and i know what she said because she actually admitted to me <laughs> what she said and it's something that couldn't be repeated here but, uh, but the, now you get the sense of the uh the sense of humor that i have to deal with in
1: uh in in uh, in yoko 100 percent. gee she's good value isn't she <laughs> and She still had her nails painted blue and gold and, you know, as I mentioned, such a nice way to wrap up the year, to acknowledge what we've achieved. Got to chat to Jim Sarantinos, CEO of the Parramatta Eels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had a bit to do with Jim in the past and, you know, he, he was very frank in saying that we would have liked to be here tonight with two trophies but that wasn't meant to be. But still, credit to this group, credit to this club for turning things around and, it was a great opportunity to reflect on how far we've come uh, in the last four to six years. And, yeah, very proud of the group and and, and an awesome evening. Well, uh,
0: on, how about you just uh, quickly run through the winners and um, if there's anything we'd like to comment on uh, Spiro. Yeah, and we'll all start going life. through the
2: blocks. And obviously, quick mention, site favourite, Von Sampson. She was emceeing with Zach Bailey. Obviously, I did a very good job, and I'll let you boys talk about that later. But let's start with the two uh, Members Awards, the Community Awards as well, starting with the Blue and Gold Army NRL and NRLW Awards, NRL recipient Dill Brown, NRLW recipient Tiana Penetani, going to the Community Awards, the Ray Price NRL and NRLW Community Awards. No surprises here, boys, if you're following any of the work they're doing off the field, including with their NRL nominations and awards too, but Kennedy Sherrington taking the NRLW Award and Dylan Brown taking the NRL Community Award.
1: Yeah, I just jump in... Oh, sorry, 60s. Um, just quickly on Dylan Brown. Um, I made the point of, and, I, and in these sort of settings, you don't want to sort of intrude on the players if they're mingling and, 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 you know, in their own time. But I made a point of going and actually speaking to Dylan Brown and, and congratulating him on what he does because I follow him on Instagram. I followed him on Instagram for quite a while and admired what he does with young disabled children, taking them to the movies, to the beach. Out for meals, engaging with them, giving them the time of day, and I've tried uh, direct messaging Dylan on a number of occasions, trying to get in touch. Uh, and you know, he gets flooded with so many that he would never see it. But I made a point of going and congratulating him, and he was very appreciative of the compliment. But he deserves it. He deserves that praise and more, because you know, for a player, a high-profile personality, they don't have to do that. You know, it's a good, it's a great thing to do, but there's no obligation there. But Dylan's really taken it in his stride and taken it upon himself to make an effort and, and make an, make a constant point of, uh, you know, showing respect and, you know, making kids day. So well done to Dylan thoroughly deserves a community award.
0: And you know what? He's a, he's the sort of young bloke that thoroughly enjoys being able to do that, being able to give back because, it all started with his involvement with the Giant Steps School, out at. Um, uh, I'm just trying to think what suburb that is again, uh, John. It's um, down on the river, down on the Parramatta River. Uh, uh,
2: giant Steps in Gladesville?
0: Gladesville, that's it. That's it. I was tra- struggling just to think of it because we uh, we were able to go out there and visit and have a look at the the work that the young Parramatta players do as um, as. Uh, classroom and learning aids out at that school, um, and from that, of course, with his uh, a link to Steve Dresler and the and the Wattability, that's where mm-hmm. it it came out that um, well, that's when he started the Wattability, Steve Dresler, and of course the likes of um, of Dylan and Reed and and quite a number of uh, close friends and former players that uh, played around the same time as as those fellas have become a big part of the Wattability. Um, it's it's a wonderful foundation that continues to grow all across Australia, um, and and as far as Kennedy's concerned as well, she was a heart kid herself. Congenital had heart through, had to go through corrective surgery mm-hmm. with her heart, and has just taken it upon herself to be an ambassador, raising awareness uh, for the heart foundations and 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 the you know children that are that are going through a tough time themselves with with heart conditions. So um, yeah, full marks to both of those and no surprise that they were the winners.
2: And Samaya Matalfa gets deserved plaudits as one of the co-captains of this team, but anyone that had a chance to see Tiana Penatani speak at the Dallium sort of pre-show uh, role they had there going on in Fox Sports will understand or appreciate how good of a speaker and leader she is for this team too. So no surprises that she took home the, uh, the members award for the RLW. All right, so moving on, we arrive at the Jersey Flag Awards here, boys. We've got, uh, I believe it's two awards per category for the flag and the New South Wales Cup. So the Brett Kenny Jersey Flag Coaches Award. This one will be a popular one for you. sixties. It went to the Colonel, Ethan Sanders, while the Steve Eller Jersey Flag Player of the Year was Ryan Jones.
0: You know what? There's there's not too many arguments uh, with that because uh, Ethan Sanders, I would be – Shocked if he isn't a a regular or becomes a regular in New South Wales Cup in 2023. He's he's quite a a, a big size for a halfback, and he's blessed with a lot of pace. He's he's yeah. you know there's aspects of his game that remind me of uh, Daily Cherry Evans. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say that he plays entirely like him, but you know there's just he's. He's got a great kicking game. He's got a good running game. He's a good organizer. He is just a talented halfback coming through. And as I said, I think he he has the size because he he must be around about six one, something like that. He I is would, very well put
2: together for a young half, especially yes. when at his age was SG ball, first year SG ball eligible but playing Jersey flag.
0: That's right. He this should have been, he should have been coming up from because he played Harold Mats. Last year, so this should have been his first year in SG Ball. He played a couple of games in uh, Jersey Flag and then uh, in uh, SG Ball, and was then elevated to uh, Jersey Flag for the uh, the rest of the season. Um, And uh, as for Ryan, he has that distinction of he was listed on the reserve bench for the Central Coast Centurions in Dylan Brown's first ever game for the Parramatta Reels in the Harold Matthews.
2: Bound by the Red String of Fate, there you go.
0: Yeah, it was something that um, when I was looking at the footage that you took of that match, uh, Forty, for anyone that is not aware, uh, we do have a a YouTube channel, and uh, Forty has a number of his videos that he's that he took uh, when rather than doing a necessarily a blog there would also be uh, video footage that you'd cut that forty would cut the highlights of we've got that first match from Dylan Brown way back in was it 2016
2: I want to say 2016 yeah
0: so and Dylan was still 15 at the time because it was around one match which would have been in February and Dylan Dylan's birthday is uh, mid year, uh, early July. I'm thinking off the top of my head, something it, like that. A- about that. So right. he, could have been, he would have been 15 years old playing in the under 16s and um, turning 16 after the season was over. And uh, yeah, uh, Ryan was in the uh, Central Coast team, not even in the uh, starting lineup. So he's a real workaholic. And uh and I think that he's um
2: had a look at the New South Wales Cup this year as well.
0: Yeah, he he and he you know what? He went quite well there. So I'd be surprised if he's not being kept around um for a New South Wales uh cup contract. So um and um, the same we spoke to Corey Fenning on the night, and Corey will also be around. Uh he's he's got a New South Wales Cup contract for the Eels. This year, So he's he's moving from the uh, Jersey flag up to New South Wales Cup.
1: Just on Corey, quickly, guys, I I really enjoyed getting the chance to speak to him because, you know, I've heard a lot about him. I know he did a wonderful podcast with the two of you and um, a good mate of mine uh, lives with Corey. So, yeah, I've been meaning to catch up and and see him face-to-face for quite a while, but what a great young guy he is and someone that we can hold on to hopefully for the future, captaining our Jersey flag team. Injuries made things difficult for him at times this year, um, but a, an absolute champ and and it's good to see that we've uh, been able to retain a few of our Jersey flag players heading into next year. I know he won't play flag next year, not eligible, so he'll play cup, but, yeah, great kid and um, and a good guy to have at the club, you know, good good positive sign for the young blokes coming through.
2: So they're the two flag gons for the 2022 season. We move on to the New South Wales Cup where we have the Jeff Gerard New South Wales Cup Coaches Award. This one goes to Ellie Elskehem, and then the Bob O'Reilly New South Wales Cup Player of the Year. No surprises to this one, Kai Rodwell. How those two awards get received at the night, boys?
0: Well, I think it was I think it was um, generally agreed that those two fellas have been... Well, Ellie's been a standout now for a couple of seasons, and uh, it'll be interesting to see whether he eventually does take that step of... Getting some NRL time. This was obviously not the year that was conducive towards giving any players a run towards the end of the season to see how they went. As we were battling to get into that top four position, and every game was uh, was critical without trialling players. Um, and as for uh, as for Rodwell, well, he did pick up another award on the night. So I think that's going to be an indicator of
1: uh, of what his season was like. Just on Kai Rodwell quickly. I to be honest with you guys and all the listeners, I haven't didn't watch a whole lot of New South Wales Cup games this year, didn't really analyze them as deeply as you guys have. But um but yeah, he's someone definitely that I think we're going to see come into the fold next year. Given all the forwards that they're losing, we're going to see Kai Rodwell I think play a lot more minutes, um be a, a regular bench player. You know, you know you got Oregon who was a, a regular bench player each week. Maybe Kai comes in and and takes his spot. I know they play different positions, but that position on the bench will be up for grabs and that might be his. So he mentioned he won another award, which John will speak about in a minute, but he mentioned that you know it was good to get a bit more first-grade opportunity this year. But next season, boy, I think we're going to see the coming of age of Kai Rodwell with a, off the back of a big pre-season and off-season. Um, I think he's going to come roaring through and and really make a name for himself uh, next season, and and he'll be great. So I can't wait to see more of, uh, as you guys call him, P.I., Magnum P.I. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, pumped to see more of him in in season 2023.
2: And before we get to the major gongs for the NRLW and the NRL, there was the one non-player award that goes out every year, and that goes to the, uh, sorry, if that goes to, if I get right here, the Mick Cronin Club Person of the Year. This year, the recipient was Laura Davidson, I'm not sure if you guys can provide some context on what she did to get the gong, but congrats to
0: Laura. Yeah, Laura does a lot of the work behind the scenes and uh, she's uh, one of the people that's responsible for liaising with the uh, former legends. She organises our uh, legend interviews that we do as part of our Leagues Club appearances, but um, she's she's gives so much of her time. Uh, to the club and um, to what happens around the club, the community stuff, and and um, and yeah, just jumping in wherever she can. So uh, you you could probably tell on the night when she won the award, mm. I reckon the applause for the, for her was arguably louder than the applause for any other player for any player during the night. So, such was the popularity of a win, and that's and for. And given the number of people from inside the club that were um, cheering for her to get that award, uh, on getting that award, I think that's a that
1: sums up just how it's, popular. It's a pretty the, a pretty telling indication,
2: water. isn't it, that when you're getting that big of a cheer, that you're doing something right.
1: Yeah, and, absolutely. And she got a standing ovation. There were a number of people on their feet. Mary Kay, one of them, clapping and cheering. And it's lovely to see. Her. There are so many great people that make up our club. When you look at it, um, you know Tukes uh, as we know him, Luke Sammet, um, who does a lot of volunteer work for the club, a lot of behind the scenes stuff. We know he won this award a few years ago. He's a great bloke I've got to know this year. you got guys like you know Bocco as well Lewis Bocco, mm-hmm. who uh, does all of the video <laughs> excuse me, uh, who does all the videography and um, photography for the club, and does an exceptional job. I mean the social media. He puts in extra hours, extra effort. I, I speak to him quite a bit and he does more than he needs to because he loves the club and loves the boys. And um, you know, he's another example of that. Tamara, who runs the media department. Uh, you know, just to name a few. I think it's important come the end of the year that we acknowledge them. And another guy who is a bit of an unsung hero is Craig Sultana, um, who we see always on the sideline with year right, right in and
2: Barking yep.
1: Yeah, and, you know, a, a wonderful man, committed. You know, I rock up to to some of the games, upwards of five to six hours before kickoff sometimes. You know, head out to Penrith and, and we're there sort of around midday, some of the first people in the ground to get all of our setup right and ready to go. And, and you don't see a, a, hell, a hell of a lot of club staff there nice and early, but someone that you, you can bank on always being there is Craig Sultana. He's unloading the gear out of the van, packs it up when the night's done, they're on the sideline barking orders and I, I was glad that I got the chance to say good day to Craig on um, on uh, Tuesday night at the Canthor Net medal and thank him for what he does as well because we got to understand that uh, there are a lot of people there that they get paid a wage, they get paid to work, you know, that's fine but they put in extra hours and extra effort to help get this side to where they got this year and and a lot of those people behind the scenes have contributed, you know, even our, our masseuses, uh, you know, I, I'm just saying generally but masseuses that went to players' houses the day after they arrived back from Townsville to to ensure that recovery wasn't impacted heading into the grand final. Um, they all deserve credit. Our nutritionists, they, they all play a role. And we've got a fantastic club and um, it's great to see that, you know, someone is always acknowledged each year, but there are so many uh, to to make note of and, and to, to uh, acknowledge their contributions as well.
0: Yeah, and I think that's probably why someone like Laura was so popular because... There's uh, people like her that make clubs go round. You know what I mean? Like they are the backbone of clubs. They they jump in and they just get things done. No, they're the the sort of people that don't say, "Well, that's not my job." They're actually saying, "What can I do to help?" You know, what can I what can I do? How can I help here? And and taking upon themselves to go that extra yard to. To make things better for the others within the organisation, and you touched on Salts, Craig Saltoner. Um, look, I don't. I wonder whether there was um, a busier person at the Eels. Maybe, uh, arguably, Brad Arthur, I, I suppose, <laughs> in, terms, in terms of you know the the hours that are put in there. But uh, Saltz, as the NRL team manager. Has to be involved in so many aspects of of what happens from everything from the logistical side of things, either at the either at the Eels HQ up at up at Kellyville, or as you pointed out, um, Spiro, the match day organisation. Um, he has to be on top of all the all the all the timetabling, all the arrangements with journalists, as you've probably seen as well. Like he's he'll be there making sure that there's um, you know, the journos are there for certain periods of time in the train. Yes. Um, mm. You know, he'll also then get out there and he'll be the referee in opposed sessions. So, so he must be a popular bike then. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> He's then. The referee, um, poor man. Yeah. And, and look, and we have such a great appreciation no, of him as well because he does some wonderful somehow, stuff. Somehow he'll find the time to come up and have a bit of a chat with yeah. us. A training so,
1: yep. and and just another guy as well. I know that this wasn't planned, but I think it's important we speak about him. He's George Dancy, uh, the club the chaplain, the, the Rev. And George is someone I've got to know quite well this year too, and just an absolute champion. You know the care that he has for not only the playing group but their families, their kids, their wives, girlfriends, partners. Uh, it is remarkable. And I was speaking to George. I, I saw him out the front of a Accor Stadium on Sunday, and we had a chat. And, you know, he was running through his game day routine and, you know, someone that has a role to play in terms of, you know, inspirational, religious, you know, being there supporting players through tough times. But he also gets rolls his sleeves ups and getting gets involved in little day-to-day runnings of the club. You know, I think he was there collecting media passes and making sure that all the New South Wales Cup players had all their accreditations and it doesn't stop, you know, and these people are para through and through and and, you know, as much as the emphasis is on the playing group, these people behind the scenes make such a, a huge contribution to our club, and and the Rev is just such a wonderful man, you know, a great guy to be around, you know, an awesome bloke, even with me, someone that's not even involved in the club, you know, I got to know him well this year and, and send a little message occasionally, see how I'm going, or if you saw I was up to something good or interesting at work, he'd, he'd check in and... And it's just nice. You know, it's, you get a nice feel and a nice vibe. So, well done to, to all the club staff, um, Laura especially, but all the others that make, make the wheels go around at Parramatta as well. Boys, we're not I in just the can I just You go, Sixties. I was just going to say, can I just
0: also um, uh, point people in the direction of our uh, podcasts, which is uh, listed That's under true, interviews right? in the um, – Uh, On the the, the landing side of TCT, yep. Yes, yep. Uh, Because George features there after he won the uh, that club person of the year a number of years ago, and we sat down and had an extensive chat with uh, George about uh, you know what's involved in his in his work. And can I also just say that over the years I've also seen him out there at training, picking up gear and. And um, you know, just getting involved out there with the with the team. So uh, yeah, he's, it's a multifaceted role, and it and it's one that extends across NRL clubs because I know there's been times where when the Warriors were um, first relocated here and uh, during COVID that he got involved and in, in helping out um, with people there. So it's a you know that's where that's where clubs become. Um, part of a bigger community, part of that bigger NRL community and rugby league community that they do jump in there and help each other out where where need be. So, um, I, yeah, anyway, uh, we better get back I, to I do say
2: I, I am impressed, boys. We're not even the recipients of the – none of the three of us are the recipients of the actual community award there, but we've managed to Todd Payton the acceptance speech on behalf of everyone at the club, so well done. <laughs> Now, I've got a pair of very, very, very controversial award winners in the NRLW. I don't know how they've managed to arrive at these decisions. Uh, NRLW Coaches Award, Kennedy Charrington. NRLW Players Player Award, Samai Matalfa. Obviously, the NRLW is too far into its infancy still, uh, or still too short into its infancy rather, to have named uh, player awards here. But that will be at some point as these players carve out their own legends. But while I jest about the controversy for the two awards, are there anyone else more deserving than Cherrington and Taufa for those two awards, boys. They had phenomenal seasons and are phenomenal individuals.
0: Well, they're, they're probably yeah. the, the, the beating heart of the team, aren't they? So I think that probably says uh, plenty.
2: And, I mean, it's not there, which I imagine it will come as the NRLW becomes more entrenched and established, but the NRLW Rookie of the Year, pretty safe to say, Gail Broughton?
1: Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, she probably should have won Rookie of the Year for the um for the NRLW at the Daliam Awards, I I don't even think Gail was actually nominated, which was surprising. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know Gail should have been up there for Rookie of the Year NRLW. I was speaking to a good good mate of mine who um plays women's rugby league, plays for the North Sydney Bears, and she said to me, I said, "What are your predictions heading into heading heading into the awards night?" She said. Uh, Gail Broughton, rookie of the year. So I was surprised that she didn't get it. It was thought, Hannah Southwell, you know, right? Which I
2: think is no no shame losing to Hannah who steered the Knights to the finals correct. as a second seed. But it would have been very close between the two of them. And the fact that I'm not sure if she was nominated is kind of concerning, isn't it? So
1: well she what I don't think she was. So it is concerning. But as you mentioned, Hannah Southwell's been a revelation at the Knights. Big part of their premiership success and deserves all the accolades.
2: Moving on to the NRL boys, we've got uh Three awards, and then we had the, the big gongs for the NRL and NRLW, the Ken Fournette and the NRLW Player of the Year. So for the NRL, you had the Eric Grove Senior NRL Rookie of the Year goes to Kai Rodwell. Jack Gibson NRL Coaches Award, Mitchell Moses. The Nathan Highmarsh NRL Players Players Award, Sean Lane. No real surprises there. Kai Rodwell had a pretty solid rookie campaign for the Eels there. Mitch Moses outstanding, and Sean Lane, well,
0: he had a career year. Yeah, I think... I think it speaks for themselves the the fact that they got those awards and uh, no
1: real surprise to any supporters. I mean, uh, the only thing is rookie of the year, Kai Rodwell. It was hard because we didn't really have many uh, debutants this year. Will Pennicini played, I think, five or six. He he ruled himself out of eligibility last year. Yeah, hard to say whether Kai Rodwell was convincingly the rookie of the year, but I don't really think there was anyone else running, but. He deserves it, and I'm sure he'll have a great year next year.
2: And that brings us to the two major gongs of the night. Obviously, the Ken Fournette medal for the boys, and as I mentioned before, it's currently unbadged, but the NRLW Player of the Year, as these women go on to carve out their own legacy, someone will assume the mantle of the biggest gong there. For the NRLW, they couldn't split him, and no surprises, but Kennedy Charrington and Smyrna Talfa share the honours, very well, uh, very much deserved there. And I can understand how they arrived at that sort of conclusion because those two were, like you said, 60s, the heartbeat and the soul of his team. For the Ken Fournette medal in third place, big Reagan Campbell-Guard, he polled 19 points. Outstanding year for him, rewarded with Australian selection and could have played more than one origin game if there wasn't some stuff happening between him and Freddie Fittler. Number two, Mitchell Moses, 21 points. Mitch, outstanding, likewise, having a career year, taking his game to refined heights. But at the top on 26 points, standing alone, is the tallest man on the squad, Sean Lane, cashing in on a career year with a Ken Fournette medal. Absolutely sensational. He takes it out and a very much deserved pickup there for him because he was phenomenal
0: this year. Absolutely. And the thing that was different about this year, because I certainly can't remember it being the case in previous years, they had a medal tally for different stages of the season. So, like a Dally M, like the Dally, like the Dally M. Now, I don't know. Uh, I I double checked with um, with Para through and through, and he, he said he couldn't recall it. Like Spiro had asked me, "Is this how they will do it?" And I said, "No, that's not how they do it." And then, lo and behold, that was exactly how they did it. Um, and yeah, Jeff uh, Para through and through, he said, "No, he doesn't doesn't recall it." I'm asking you. Do you ever recall it in your the 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 medal nights that you've been to, John?
2: I can't. No, usually it's just announced at the end.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, uh, what was interesting there was that Sean Lane didn't feature on the leaders board at one third of the way through the season. No, because two thirds. Yeah, two thirds of the way through the season, he'd he'd crept onto the leaders board and was only a couple of points behind the leaders. And, obviously, that final tally had him way out in front. And was reflective of the surge in form that he had in that back half of the season, where he was obviously not just dominant as far as we were concerned, but, you know, voted that way by his peers.
2: Yeah, interesting, because you mentioned that first part of the season for Sean Lane. Struggled with some injury. I think he missed two or three games. Spent some time in the middle as opposed to the edges, but then really worked out those kinks and just got into top gear and never looked back. So... Awesome award for him. He did a fantastic job. And it leads us naturally into the the follow-up news, I suppose, where it had been rumoured but uh, finally made official today. But he's re-signed with the Eels for a further free season to the end of 2026. So, obviously, fantastic for the Eels there. But not the only news, boys. Uh, he joined a couple other Eels, extending in Jake Arthur and Sean Russell, both at the end of 2024. And then we, we've spoken about it as if it had been done, 60s, but Jack Murchie also joined the club for two years. So... Uh, A quadruple sort of back-to-back-to-back-to-back bit of news there for the Eels coming out of the Dalliums, the Ken Fournets as well. So very, very good stuff for the club.
1: In terms of Sean Lane, just quickly while we're speaking about him, in his acceptance speech, he mentioned that midway through the year, he wasn't really happy with the style of footy that he was playing and he sort of changed his mentality, focus and approach to it all. I think he got a girlfriend as well. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, I know people joke about it, but it's, no. it's actually an interesting observation that when you get a – when sports people usually get a partner, they're, they, they're, they tend to go yeah, up, balance, and, balance, up a Balance level. in life a bit is a huge part of it. Absolutely. Say that again, sorry, 40? Oh, just 40,
2: balance, balance in life is huge. Having stability it off is. the field is going to help you on the field.
1: And, you know, I've spoken to Gutho about it, about life always being good and family and his kids and whatnot. John Lang got a, got a girlfriend, you know, reflected, took the chance to really – think about his game and, and then he turned things around and hopefully he's on the right trajectory. And I said it to 60s on the on the night that his combination with Dylan Brown is only going to get better uh, next year and in the years to come. And he was full of praise for Dilbarg's in his acceptance speech saying how important he has been to Lane's rise to success. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's really good. I'm happy to see Sean Lane playing well. I know he's copped his fair share of criticism in the past and, you know, questionable whether all of that is deserved. But I think it's fair to say that he wasn't the greatest player. He was a bit of a plotter. But this year he proved that he has what it takes to be a threat. And I hope that now he signed his contract and it gives him a, an extra bit of motivation to play well for the fans and and put up good performances into 2023 and beyond until the end of 2026. On those other signings, Jack Murchie, a great pickup uh, gentleman. He'll be awesome. Probably fill one of the bench spots as well. And he's had a great couple of years at the Warriors. He was at the Raiders, wasn't really doing much, then went to the Warriors, made a bit of a name for himself. But it, I've got real Isaiah Papali'i vibes about this one. Someone that, you know, has, hasn't has really been that well noticed or recognised in the NRL, comes to Parramatta, new beginning. Um, and I, I feel that he's going to be a great addition to our team. So look, really looking forward to seeing Murchie, Sean Russell, a junior of the club, someone that we needed to keep disappointing we didn't see enough of him this year. We, we obviously had that rib injury, suffered in round one, but I'm keen to see more of Sean Russell next year. And Jake Arthur as well, uh, off the back of an excellent performance in the grand final. Five minutes he came on and scored a try. No one can take that away from him and, and he will always be a grand final try scorer. So, yeah, good to see Jake resign. It's a bit interesting, though. Um, I know some people have spoken about his next move will be dictated by what happens with Mitchell Moses because if Moses comes out and resigns until the end of, for the next four four years or five years or whatever, then it's going to be hard for Jake Arthur to crack in a first grade, um, especially if Dylan Brown resigns as well, unless uh, they bring or they leave Jake Arthur on the bench and he serves that utility role. Fair enough. But if he wants minutes and to be playing as a starting halfback, I don't know if he's going to get that at Parramatta. So, It'll it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. I don't know if this is a sign of what's to come and maybe there's a bit of uh, concern that Mitch Moses may leave the club. That would be a huge shock, but I'm just trying to read into this a little bit and and try and make it a bit newsworthy, I guess. Uh, Uh, Look, I think what's going to happen is I'm
0: expecting both halves to stay with the Eels. Um, Jake Arthur's had a year where he's increased in size I believe he's probably topping 90 kgs now. Um, he's about 6'3 in, uh, in height. I think people, um, a lot of people might recall just how lightweight uh, Jake was coming through the junior representative sides. And the difference in his size, not just in his height, but in his weight, is marked. You see him out there now. And I think Brent Reid even described him as, you know, this is a a, a big-bodied player. He will, I expect him to put on weight in the off-season slash preseason, and I think that utility role on the bench will become increasingly his role next year. Um, and that um, if it continues along the path that I expected in terms of his size, it may well be that his his role is maybe more towards the forwards than it is towards uh, the backs. Um, just and, and just to add a little bit, I, I'm, I'm also happy that um, Sean Russell is extended because, as you mentioned, he had a, a rough year with that uh, nasty injury at the start of the year, which should have resulted in a bit more action. But that's, uh, that's by the by now. Uh, Murchie, yeah, he's part of a group of players that have been recruited to the Eels that are all in that 24-year age group, round about that 24 years of age. It's the sort of age where Brad Arthur loves to get a player who hasn't really f- completely fulfilled their potential, and and Sean Lane fitted into that before, and, and really get the best out of them. And, you know, that's something that he's got a proven track record as a coach in. Um, and just to wrap up, The Ken Thornett medal Uh, was really good uh, and different presentation this year. Forty, they had the um, uh, the MC role, of course, uh, done so well by Vonnie Sampson. She's a favourite of ours. I was able to introduce Spiro to Vonnie uh, early in the night on um, Tuesday night. Um, So she was the MC and uh, they had a a couch up there, which uh, Zach Bailey would sit down on. Uh, to interview the players. And I think that allowed for the players to be a lot more relaxed mm-hmm. in how they chatted with him. Uh, it was I, I quite liked the format. Um, you, you'd also get uh, – Vonnie would go over there as well and they'd, they'd present some of the evening from, uh, like, talking on the couch. And it gave that relaxed atmosphere. So it had enough of for the formalities, but it was also a lot more relaxed. You had players that were able to show their personality. Sean Lane had a bit of a joke around, obviously, Dylan – um, Gail Broughton is just a natural <laughs>
1: lovely, oh. up there. Um, <laughs> she's a character. I uh, really she, like Gail.
0: Yeah, she, she is an absolute character. Um, and and same really can be said about about Kennedy as well. Like they're they're just um they're just so natural up there. So look, really thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, the vibe of the night was uh, was really uh it was just so positive. Um, and uh, yeah, so. Look, a great night, but um, there is now other NRL news floating around yeah, good, that we need to get into before we wrap things up. Good news
2: for the Eels has been balanced by some black eyes for the game. We've got a domestic violence charge up against Luciano Le Lua, who was on the or going to be on the plane to England as part of the Samoan squad, I believe, but now he's been pulled out of the squad and stood down by the NRL. Obviously, that the the details are developing. But, uh, yeah, as it stands, not a good look for the game immediately in the wake of the grand final to have a player charged with domestic violence.
1: No, Not at all. Not at all. I think, look, Luciano is a bit of a loose cannon. Uh, There's no question about that. But, you know, this is just way over the top. You know, anyone that is involved in a domestic violence situation like this automatically has to be stood down. Mm -hmm. And I think the NRL have, have just handled that really well. I mean, consistency um, is all you so ever yeah, ask for, and
2: this is a consistent response. And it's I'm not, I say that it's also the right response, right? You know, but let the uh, the police and the courts do their due diligence here and, and get to the truth of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah like- 100%. So misses out on the World Cup, you know, it's a loss for Samoa, but, uh, you know, he's going to serve his time because he's done the wrong thing here. And
2: likewise, we have a, an investigation on Josh Curran of all people who, um, if I get these details right, was at a nightclub in Port Macquarie and got into a blue... With a 16-year-old who I don't know how he was in the nightclub, but you know Port Macquarie. <laughs> That's
1: and, a good uh, question. Port, Port
2: Macquarie, you know, vetting process at the door, obviously working its uh, magic, but apparently he got into a blue and has knocked out some teeth of the young lad. So, if true, there's going to be some serious ramifications for Josh as well. I'd look, I'd say there.
0: And he, I'm sure, he'd been quite a clean skin before this. It seems I, like I'd never, never a heard because you know
2: Parramatta Junior never heard an issue mm. of him between us and his time at the Roosters before he joined the Warriors, and even at the Warriors. You know, it seemed to be a, an upstanding part of their squad and then this has happened. So I don't know if there's any provocations or, you know, a backstory to this, but it's not a good look to start the off-season, I'll tell you that.
1: Yeah. yeah. And he's playing, like, on the field. I mean, he's gone to the next level, played for the PAMs 13. Some talk about maybe even state of origin. So mm-hmm. it's disappointing. But, you know, these players, they make some silly decisions when they're, you know, on the drink and, mm-hmm. and you know, make a rush. Uh, choices now. Touch wood. Fingers crossed. Uh, nothing does happen. But credit to Parramatta. I mean, thank goodness we haven't had any off-field Mad Monday incidents or issues up to this point. Uh, but yeah, issues there for for two. You'd like to say notable players mm. in the NRL.
2: Yes, indeed. And that's like we said, waiting to see how these play out and develop. But right now, not a good look for both players. One of the more interesting headlines we saw today. I don't know how much to read into it, boys, but twenty-seven dragons, no showing the club presentation. You know, you look at it. At surface value is this? You know, ninety percent of the, the top roster revolting against the club, or is this a case of bad scheduling? I'll let you take it away, sixties.
0: Oh look, I think straight up, it's it's bad schedule, scheduling because their season has been over for five weeks now, and that's part of the. And, and given that. It's probably a case that the Dragons didn't train through, their, uh, through the finals period. I, I, I mean, I can't be sure of that, but a lot of teams choose not to train through that period. Rather, they choose to get back to the preseason nice and early. If that's been the case, these players have been on their uh, annual leave for the best part of four or five weeks now. And um, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be surprised that most of them are elsewhere and uh, if they've scheduled it for after the grand final, they obviously scheduled it without flexibility. We know that the Eels' Ken Thornette medal had been scheduled with flexibility, and they had booked the venue for uh, something like five consecutive Tuesdays, which was uh, when the, um, for whenever the Tuesday after the Eels finished their uh, uh, commitments for the season that the that, that Ken Thornett medal was going to be held. Maybe that was the case that the Dragons didn't do that
1: and that they simply had it booked in for after the grand final, aiming for the best. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but That's pretty poor, guys. I mean, you know, I know the boss of Dalton House really well. Uh, Paul Signorelli He's a great bloke and he is very flexible with that stuff. He does a number of other clubs, the Bulldogs, etc. Poor scheduling by the Dragons. You know, credit to Parramatta. Um, I... Didn't know if the whole playing group would be there. I thought maybe a few jet off on holidays, but not. Every single one was there. I know Jake Arthur uh, headed off to Bali, I believe, the day after, the KTM. I know that Sam Luizu is now in Hawaii, but they all stayed for that Kenthornet medal, and that's a real sign of the culture. In terms of the Dragons, I've actually got a bit of breaking news on this uh, guys just through from... My colleague Mark Levy uh, from Two GB, the host of Wide World of Sports. Now, Mark has just tweeted, and I quote: "Only three players turn up to the Dragons' presentation night at Dalton House at Piemont. Have a guess where at least two of the first grade squad were instead across the road at the casino. Unbelievable!
2: No, that now that is <laughs> so, that that's an issue right there. <laughs> yeah.
1: Correct. So, credit to Mark Levy." Uh, you can catch uh, catch him on Wildwater Sports Monday to Friday from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. He's a great boss. Uh, you know, I've, I've grown very close to Mark, and he has just informed me and and also informed all of his followers on Twitter that two or at least two Dragons first grade players were across the road at the casino uh, for the presentation night. So very very poor form. That's an issue. But you know, in terms of uh, is this do you point the finger at the players? Entirely, no. Those two players, yes. But a lot of uh, of the group had organized to go overseas, Zach Lomax, I believe, overseas, and a number of other players as well. So the scheduling was an issue um, without a doubt. But, yeah, that is concerning. Uh, a bit of breaking news on that front from Mark Levy, my colleague at 2GB.
2: Got more NRL news to discuss after this, though, boys. We've got some sweeping changes to Junior Rugby League. So no tackling until under 7.0. No point scoring or point keeping or winning or losing up until age 13. Now, this one is pretty controversial. Uh, this is not just a rugby league thing. This is more of a generational thing about the whole participation award sort of you know culture that's going around. What do we make of this? Because I think the no tackling thing definitely has some uh, mechanical logic to it in terms of the growing body and the young kids and just getting them conditioned to play rugby the right way first. But I think winning and losing, and especially losing and suffering adversity, is an important part of developing as a young adult or even just a young teenager. I'm not so sure that, you know, no winning, no losing is a good thing for the uh, under-12s and below.
0: Yeah, look, I'm concerned as well because I think there's a big part of, um, well, a lot of players have already been identified by age 13, uh, you know, like that, and start to get picked in development squads for a start. So I, I'm concerned as to whether there are competi- uh, competitive alternatives for them in other sports that that might attract uh, young fellas that, uh, and young girls that are interested in uh, playing rugby league. It's, I, I'm not sure, I'm sure the intentions uh that are good they're well intentioned they're they're trying to take the pressure away from uh young players so that they 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 don't feel like they have to be winning to be enjoying the game however as you point out there uh john that it is part of character building as well to to deal with adversity
1: i mean one yeah, of the yeah
2: one of the league identities that we respect a ton sixties one of his famous lines to us was you learn more from a loss than you do from a win.
0: Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? absolutely, absolutely, and I, and and so I have concerns about that. Like you, I'm not concerned about the uh, that that tackle issue as long as it doesn't go beyond. Like I hope it doesn't have a creep up to where there is no tackling up to under 12s or 13s because I think we'd be in big trouble then because there is something about. Um, I mean, we had that that that. Um, that tackle ready or the um, program explained to us. I think that was the name of it, where uh, they they play tag to a certain age, but at the same time they're learning the fundamentals of tackling. But that, exactly. That, but that the movements to re, to get a tag off a player are very similar to the movements that they make when they're um we're in that tackle sort of position. So it's a good starting point, and then it, it they have that confidence of understanding the other aspects of rugby league and um, and then they're introduced to tackle now I, I still believe they have to be introduced to tackle at a reasonably young age to make it safe for them because Correct. if you start if you introduce tackling too late it isn't safe because they don't understand the, the like those movements of tackling and tackling safely won't come easy to someone who hasn't who hasn't engaged in that um, throughout their playing so Um, I, as I said, I hope that doesn't extend beyond the years that it's already limited up to, Mm -hmm. but that competitive stuff. No, I, 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 I just can't, I just can't agree with it because they've already got limitations with that anyway. And they're just going to keep increasing that age group till they get it up to that under 13s. And when is the age where we lose players? We lose players at that under-13 age group when when they hit the teens.
2: The out-of-district clubs start to recruit very very aggressively, exactly.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you guys on the tackling part, especially what you just said there, 60s, about making sure that we do find the right balance and that we introduce tackling at the right age because it is a safety issue. You need to introduce kids to tackling at a young enough age to prepare them for the contact that they will receive in the later parts of their career or as they grow into uh, teenagers. Points-wise, you know, I can speak from experience because, and I know it's a different sport, but same sort of concept. I used to play soccer as a kid uh, for three or four seasons. I was, you know, I'm, we're talking under 8s, 9s, 10s, 11s, you know, twelve, whatever, and basically um, we didn't have any finals until I believe under 12. I, I think I played three seasons and I think, the season after I finished, finals kicked in. So basically, we were shielded. You know, We were shielded. We lost a lot of our games. We barely won any games. And that feeling hurts You know, to lose. But I just feel like it needs to be competitive because you need to teach kids that. So I, I agree with you guys wholeheartedly. I would love to have the incentive as well of being able to play finals from a young age. I just feel like it would have given us a bit more motivation to do well. Knowing that there's a bit of you know a bit of an incentive there that if you do well and you win games you'll play finals so yeah it's a, it's an interesting one but I agree with you fellas that we need to make it competitive and keep kids engaged yeah look I I mean I only played
0: rugby union as a as a kid and my first season playing rugby union we lost every match we came last um, the following year we won the title and um, I didn't feel damaged by finishing last uh, and, and likewise um, I didn't feel as if uh, winning the title made us feel like we were um, something that we shouldn't be I think it was just all part of you take it in your in your stride as a, as a young person you learn from it and I think we're taking away a learning opportunity for the kids and you know as a teacher as a former teacher I think there's enough times where kids are shielded, to be honest. In in a lot of what they uh, have, like school reports, are, are fairly kind now. Certainly compared to when I was there's
2: a, there's a lot of a lot of coded language now, isn't there? About you know whether a kid's you know acting up to scratch or behaving badly, and you've got to sure code it a certain way. So yeah, I yeah, I mean I'm not I'm I'm not buying into the full on you know participation award culture that some people talk about, but I would like to see this change heavily scrutinised because, like I said, winning and losing, but especially losing, is an important part of growing up and, and sort of dealing with adversity. So, hopefully, they, they don't hard commit to this and can come back and reflect on it. But right now, that's what we're looking at.
0: Yeah. So, um, but we got a, a couple of things that we yeah learning. let's let's
2: power on a few more things of business, or orders of business before we wrap up. Uh, we'll start with a, a parameteral choosing to take a moral stand on the judiciary, uh, Ryan Madison. Very, very harshly done by, by the Match Review Committee. I mean, whenever I see an MRC charge, I think of that episode of South Park where I think the boys are trying to get a refund on a blender or something like that. They end up going, going to a place that cuts off the head of a chicken and puts it on the floor and they you know get a random reward out of it because that's what it feels like for the MRC. Ryan Madison gets a, a three, or four, three- to four-week charge for a crusher tackle on uh, Dylan Edwards out of that grand final game. But because it was a finals, it comes under the purview of those new rules where he could take a fine instead – but Madison has elected to take the suspension. He's not contesting. He's pleading guilty and taking that, meaning that the Eels will be out their premier forward for three games into the 2023 season. Uh, instead, he's going to instead of eating that 4k fine, he uh, quoted uh, sort of inconsistent approach by the judiciary and sort of being targeted for stuff that should have been penalty sufficient. And what, as to why he's upset and why he's taking a stand and how, in other lines of business, you don't get shot in the hip pocket. The way you do in the NRL for making "quote unquote" a mistake, even if it's not your like not a mistake. So he's choosing to take the moral stand here, boys. But the Eels are the ones that are losing out. What are our takes on this?
0: Oh, mate! Oh, look, he's standing by his principles, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticise a bloke for standing by his principles. And the other side of that too is that he's get he's copped a three match suspension for where, a tackle uh, that the guy actually
2: backed himself uh, into. Yeah.
0: Yes, yep. And in contrast, just to, let, let's put this in perspective. Talon May attacks a member of the public, thrusts him down onto the back of his head and, from behind. Gets it postponed. And gets it postponed, a two-week suspension mm-hmm. postponed. Now, I know he's also copped a fine and that as well, but it was a two-week suspension that he's that he's copping. I, I, and I know and I understand that Madison could have taken a four thousand dollar fine and not had the three match suspension, but I just think it's I just think there's something that's all messed up here. Um, but I guess if you are Parramatta and you are paying him the big dollars that he's being paid, it will feel a bizarre choice, and I don't think there's any way of avoiding that. I, I I stand by him in what he said about there is no way he could avoid that happening in the match and did it the best that he could do. But, man, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's odd when you think that um, he's chosen to stand down for three games.
1: It's it's an odd one, guys. I mean, you can't, like you said, sixties you can't question his moral values. But for me, you know, these players get paid a hell of, hell of a lot of money. I know that he's been fined already this year. Um, and I think 9% of his contract would have been uh, deducted had he paid the fine for this one plus what he did before. But still, you know, he should have just copped it and just said, look, I'll take the fine and and play next year. Um, There are inadequacies, don't disagree with you there. And I just think that Matto, he probably just should have just, you know, because he's caused a lot of headlines, a lot of controversy, a lot of people have pointed the finger at him and criticised him. I don't think it's worth it. I just think, shut up, pay the fine and and uh, and move on unfortunately and I, as i said i'm not questioning his moral views but i'm just saying if i was him that's what i would have done and I think also- what we know about maddo is he marches
0: to the beat of his own drum yeah there is uh, there is no doubt about that he he will he he will make stands on things uh, he will make sure and it and it you know a lot of that revolves around his health as well um he has his very strong beliefs um as I said, yeah, marches to the beat of his own drum. Um, I don't think it would worry him what people's takes are. I think he's, I, I think he's probably quite comfortable with his decision.
2: Yeah, I think so too. Knowing what we know about Ryan Madison, I suppose the only other point of contention here is that it's not really adequately explained to the public. So maybe Sixties, you might have some clarity on this. But can or cannot the club pay that fine on his behalf?
0: Yeah, I. I Honestly, I don't know. I'm sure there are instances out there where a club pays the fine on the on behalf of the players. But you know, it, when that happens, I don't know how that stands around salary caps and yeah, that sort exactly, of thing. Exactly. So, exactly. You know, I mean, maybe they choose to pay it on behalf of the player, and then um, you know, put it down as a as as a cost with the that's accepted into the salary cap. Uh, you know, where they actually do pay the cost of a salary cap increase of four thousand, like in this case four thousand dollars. I, I I'm not sure, I'm only supposing there, but um I, I reckon there's plenty of instances where, where fines are played by the clubs. Yeah.
2: All right, so I, I don't know if the book is completely closed on that and the club can you know come in and say, no, we'll pay the fine. But as it stands, Ryan Madison to miss the first three games of the NRL season in 2023. As far as I know, he's not dual eligible for any World Cup team too, so he can't eat into the suspension through the RLWC, which is a real shame. But Let's get on to some big re-signing, signing news across a few different clubs here. Uh, dominoes falling, chess pieces moving on the board, some big names either staying or changing places. Starting with Cam Munster, after flirting very, very aggressively with the Redcliffe Dolphins. not Sorry, not the Redcliffe Dolphins, the Dolphins. Feeling <clears throat> very aggressive with the Dolphins and the West Tigers in recent weeks. Cameron Munster has finally decided where his future lies, and it's with the Melbourne Storm. What a shock. Melbourne somehow finding the funds to pony up for a four-year extension, worth rumoured to be in the vicinity of $4 million, but those numbers can be very liquid uh, when it comes to the initial values at least, or the valuation are we really surprised by this outcome, boys? Was he ever going to leave the Melbourne Storm? Uh, are we shocked that they could pony up the funds to keep him? What are your takes?
1: Well, you ask that question, right? And when you think about it, they did offload quite a few players this year. You know, the Bromwich brothers, Felice Kafusi, Brandon Smith, all guys taking up, you know, a fair amount of money in the salary cap. So it makes sense now. You know, they, they had to – they weren't able to keep everyone. They had to get rid of some. Which they did, and they're going to have, and they really wanted to retain others. And one of those is Cameron Munster, such a versatile player, can play fullback, play halfback, play 5'8". He can, he can do anything, you know. And he has the ability to win matches, to change the games around. And someone that the Storm had to retain. I thought it was ironic because last night, about an hour before the announcement came through, my brother and I were speaking about Cameron Munster. It came up randomly, and I said, "Oh, you know what?" I don't think he's going to stay at the Storm. I think he might go to the Dolphins. He might go home. They'll throw some big money at him. He'll go home to Queensland, up to the Dolphins, and, and, you know, probably see out his career there. But that is not the case. Staying at the Storm, great signing for them and an important player to hold on to.
0: Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that the Storm have made their decision that their spine is where they are going to invest the money. Uh, Pappenhausen, Hughes, Munster, and Harry Grant – that's, I think that's a really sensible investment that they've made because they will be the core of their team. Uh, it's always been his case over the years that they're, uh, the coaching of Craig Bellamy has been able to get the best out of players who you, who might be just good first graders and he turns them into, uh, much as Brad Arthur's been able to do, representative players and the fringe players, You can turn them into good first grade players. Um, so, look, I... I I think that's, uh, that's been a, a, a must signing for them with Munster. Uh, I think the money's around about what I thought it would be. The other thing is, too, that Domino's falling is if they'd lost Munda, Munster, there was every likelihood they were mm. going to come hard after Tom Yeah, Brown. I was actually
2: going to make that point myself, that it was good news in a circumstantial, uh, circumspect sort of way for the Eels because, like you said, out of all the sort of suitors and contenders for Dylan. We've heard, you know, the likes of the Dolphins and the the Tigers linked to him. The Melbourne Storm were the real threat. Like, let's not, you know, BS about this. The Melbourne Storm were the real threat. He'd be leaving one contender to sign for another. And Melbourne yeah. have a system in which he would thrive. So the fact that Munster is re-upped with them is good news for Parramatta.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
2: Now, the, uh, the Dolphins, always the bridesmaid, never the bride, as was the case with Munster and a couple other players, obviously Ryan Madison too but they have landed a pretty solid signing. Uh, Hamiza Fado. there we go, got it, uh, has been given an immediate release from his contract with the North Queensland Cowboys to join the new franchise, the expansion franchise, for next year. He signs on a two-year deal, and I believe he is seen as, the uh, right now, the core player to take over their number one jersey. So, good pickup for them. The Hammer was uh, essentially the Jake Arthur of the Cowboys, wasn't he? He was stuck on the bench for long stretches, And they just could not find a place to get him into that back line. Obviously, both parties happy to get the release done, and now he's going to be a marquee man for the new rent, uh, new franchise.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a, a it's probably a signing that hasn't cost them too much money, and it's a, a signing of the future for them. Uh, you know, look, I think there's a bit of a punt in that because I don't think he's ever actually, even though he's played a bit of Origin. I think playing that consistent NRL is something that he hasn't quite got to the stage of, and uh, really, we're about to see just what the hammer has when it comes to being a regular NRL player.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't get me wrong, good signing, good signing, but still, they have failed to land a big blow. The Dolphins—they have a lot of average, not average players, but a lot of you know just solid players. But they haven't got, like, a marquee man, a game winner, you know, a monster, a, you know, Reed Ma- a hooker that's going to, you know, Brandon Smith. If I was a Dolphins, I would have been going after, you know, Monster Brandon Smith, those guys to try and get one of those because they are game changers. Hammer, so, Tabby Wafido, he's going to be good, provide some X-Factor at the back, you know, good ball running, all that sort of stuff. But he's not the answer for the, for the Dolphins. They need oomph, and I still think that they fail. They have not got that.
0: I think the word that you're looking for is probably underwhelming. Is mm. their, their recruitment's been underwhelming. I think they will make absolutely no mark in the NRL next year and maybe for a number of years. Um, I was not a fan of them going for another Brisbane club, and I think it's going to be proven that uh, it's they're going to struggle for a number of years to come. I, I Look, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like another version of the uh, South Queensland Crushers who had a, well, I, they'll last longer than the South Queensland Crushers, but they're going to really need a leg up.
1: And it may take time. I mean, Wayne Bennett's going to be at the helm for, what, two or three years? Yeah, it's going to take time to build a good roster there. Um, and I just feel like... They talk they've talked such a big game but they haven't delivered in saying that though they you know across the board I mean they've got a lot a few solid players there um, you know Wayne Bennett might be able to galvanize his team they may win a few matches and they're just somehow they might be able to miraculously do something but nothing amazing but as I said who knows that with Wayne Bennett at the helm and they've got a few okay guys they got you know, Nicarima and Tabu uh, Fido. And in the forwards, they got, you know, the Bromiches. They've got um, Ray Stone. They've got, you Kifusi. know, this young bloke, Isaiah, yeah, uh, they got this young guy, Isaiah Katoa, uh, Sean O'Sullivan, a few pennies. So, you know, I just feel like they haven't landed any big blows, but they've done okay in recruiting a, a, a fairly solid team. Uh, but I still think you need match winners to be able to make a, a real impact on the competition. But don't be surprised; I think they could do okay, but not top eight or, or go close to that. But they may win a few games.
2: And we talk. Well, I, I,
1: here's my reality
0: check: I can actually line them up against the West Tigers, and I think the West Tigers have got a better
1: roster than them next year. Possibly, possibly, but um, you never know. As well, the thing is, 60s—you know, new club, fresh start. Wayne Bennett, he's. An amazing coach, Christian Wolf, coming over from uh, St Helens, who have won four straight titles. You got premiership winners in Isaiah Katoa and Sean O'Sullivan. so you got the you got the makings there. You got a lot of premiership winners, and you know you got your Bromiches and you got your Cafusis and um, and whatnot from Melbourne, who have won premiership. So I don't know. I I, I think I, I stand by my thing of you need good playmakers and star players to do make many an impact. But who knows? They could get by with um, with a, a solid roster across the park.
0: Well, I tell you what. Let's. How about we, for a bit of fun, we make an early call on where they finish, even though their roster is probably not complete yet. I'm going to go uh, no higher than thirteenth.
1: No higher than thirteenth. I'm going to say no higher than tenth. I think they're going to do better than you think. Sixties. Okay, forty.
2: Uh, as long, the, the, the meme lord of me just wants him to finish 16 for higher so the West Tigers can find out that it can, in fact, get worse than 16 for the NRL. So, yeah. uh,
0: okay. Does that, is that just about wrap everything up? Just uh,
2: one, more, one more big piece of signing news. We talked about dominoes falling and perhaps no more significant domino in terms of the structure of the, the roster moving forwards in both short and long term planning. We got Ben Hunt finally after sort of going will he won't he too high too low on the contract offers on both sides. Ben Hunt has re-signed with the Saint George Elora Dragons. He was contracted for 2023. Two-year extension carries him through to the end of 2025. But the domino falling in that regard means that there's an expectation that young halfback prospect Jaden Sullivan will now push to ask for a release with Canterbury in line. The Bulldogs supposedly in the club, immediately linked to him as a potential suitor if he's able to get a release from his contract. So good news on the one hand for the uh, the Dragons, because Hunt has been at the heart of their team, you know, their best player and a Dallium Player of the Year candidate. But on the flip side, they might have just lost one of their pieces in the future by doing so.
0: And you know what? I think what would wrap up the podcast beautifully would be if we knew whether Hunt was at the Dragons presentation night or not. Yeah. Yeah,
1: well, he was. He won the he won the man gong, so he was. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> he brings it home for us.
2: Uh, you, you put the layup up there, and he jams it in.
1: So, well, well done, boys. I don't know if Jaden Sullivan was there though. No, no.
2: But uh, that, I mean, this isn't a dragon-specific problem, boys. This is now the reality of the NRL. You sign the sort of the tenured veteran, and then you're going to have the young prospect saying, "Well, my pathway is blocked. I want out." And the, yeah. the dragons aren't the only club to suffer from it. The eels have suffered from it in the past. When you're a strong club, it's much easier to say no, just bide your time, and we'll get you in there eventually. And the eels, are obviously, now in a situation they can sort of do that. But it is just tough because the moment you you sign someone, the manager will be like, "Well, you've blocked my my young players' path. We're going to go or let us go." So I I, I don't think it, that's mismanagement from the dragons by any means.
1: Yeah, um, guys, I've just got a bit of breaking news, and and because it is a news pod, I wanted to. Uh, Bring this in considering that this player is someone that Parramatta have had on their radar in the last couple of years um, But I can reveal uh, right now that former NRL player Curtis Scott has been found guilty of three charges against his former partner Tay Leah Clark so details to follow however, I confirm that uh, former NRL player Curtis Scott has been found guilty of three charges against his former partner which means his return to the NRL is, uh, or he, any future in the NRL is now very, very uh, clouded. Yeah, I think most unlikely at this stage. Yeah, so. I think
2: Cloud has probably been a little bit generous. Espero has probably put an absolute <laughs> uh, knock on any chance of him making a return to the NRL.
0: Yeah, and mate, on that note, that probably is uh, a. a- uh, time to wrap yeah, up. Yeah, a whole,
2: a whole stack of NRL news this week as we uh, sort of wade through into the off season. Obviously, the Rugby League World Cup is coming up, so there'll be plenty to talk about. Likewise on TCT, always plenty to catch up. But we thank you, as always, for tuning in and giving us a listen. In the meantime, stay safe and we'll catch you guys in the next episode.
0: Go, you eels.
1: And just quickly, thank you, 60s, thank you, 40s, thank you to everyone that listens to the Cumberland Throw. It's been a great year. My first with the TCT family. Enjoyed chatting footy. And Parramatta with you all each and every week. Have a lovely off-season. And I just think uh, we've got a lot to be excited about, a lot to be proud of heading into season 2023. So go, para.
2: We've loved having you on, And I'll tell you what, we've had more people talk about you than us when it comes to listening to the podcast. So <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, we've, we've done something time. right by getting you on board, mate.
0: Yeah, we've, I've, I've been stopped that many times lately. And whilst there might be people who recognise my voice – from the podcast, one of the first things they want to talk about is your uh, your inclusion in our uh,
1: weekly podcast. So, um, mate, uh, yeah, again, our thanks. Out, my absolute pleasure. Looking forward to looking forward to doing it all again next year. Damn mate. Right. yeah.
0: Looking forward to it too, mate. But we haven't written you off for the year yet, so no news. Nah. So, so no, see you, boy. You're you're
2: an international <laughs> correspondent too. You've got connections to the, the Papua New Guinean team, so we're going to have you on for the Rugby World Cup, one hundred percent. So,
1: yeah. Ah, oh, sounds good. Looking forward to it. But yeah, okay. catch,
2: catch you guys later. See
1: you guys.